I'm Kitty Kinnon with 96.1 BBB. I have been in radio for many, many decades. And uh, for at least 20 of those did a Sunday jazz brunch. Besides being a rock and roller, I am a music lover of everything. So needless to say, I was thrilled to be able to talk to the legendary musician, artist, photographer, Marion Meadows. He's in the middle of a tour with Alex Bunyon, and that's what I was originally supposed to talk to him about. But thankfully, because he was so generous with his time, our conversation was able to take many twists and fascinating turns. Hey, Marion. Hi, kid. It's so nice to talk to you, Miriam. We're really excited you're coming to town. But I wanted to let our listeners know that not only are you a phenomenal award-winning musician, but you are so multi-talented. You're also a photographer and a fantastic artist. How did you get into the visual art side of it? Well, you know, kind of back in the days when we first started as artists having websites, we didn't have... uh, content management sites, kind of like the Wix and, you know, those kind of sites because you had to have a web designer. Uh, you know, no one had that. That came later. And then all of us who had a gig coming up, we, we can get a website built, but then you have to change the date and you have to call the web designer. <laughs> so, so I said, well, I need to know how to do HTML and, and design websites and stuff. So I went to school for it and while I was doing it, I took up like Photoshop and I was always, I was, I was already, you know, a painter and then yeah, I got into photography really heavy uh, and I just started combining all of those things and, you know, that's kind of the side of my brain that works that way uh, and uh, next thing I know I had volumes of art and paintings and digital art and photography. It was, on and on and on so yeah <laughs> and I now mean, I'm just, I just got so much stuff <laughs> oh my gosh you do I hope everybody goes to your website to check out the art and of course everything else that you do on there I mean you used to be a competitive biker too I mean come on you're putting us all to shame do you still do that and I do still train on the bike but uh you know I don't race anymore but it's uh it, I did for a long time and uh, you know, it keeps you grounded, it keeps you in shape, and uh, uh, yeah, so I've, I've always kind of done that too, so I kind of fit it in. I'm, I'm certainly a person that likes to wear a lot of different hats, and I'm kind of an eclectic uh, <laughs> artist in that way. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah. I know this story because I've read it about you and talked about it in the past, but tell us about your big break when you were in the subway of Grand Central Station. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, it embellishes over the years to, to me being a homeless guy in the subway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, you know. But, no, I lived out in uh, Connecticut, and, you know, back in those days, uh, they had the, the late, late trains, the 3 o'clock trains in the morning. And so you, you could be in Grand Central waiting for your, the late train at, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and there's nobody in there. So... It was pretty empty, maybe a couple of people walking through. But um, my friend told me to take my horn out, and he said, he's got a play in here. This is the Grand Central. It sounded like the Taj Mahal. I did take my horn out, and I was playing <laughs> And then some guy comes running, and some guy's, uh-oh. I said, that's the security guy. He's the only, play, the only guy in the place. <laughs> and he's coming up the stairs of the Grand Central. You know, you stand at the top of those stairs. Uh, next thing I know, he said, 
he introduces himself as uh, Jay Chataway, the producer who works with Bob James. He says, I'm gonna, he goes, you sound fantastic. Uh, I'm going to tell Bob James about you. We exchange numbers. And lo and behold, you know, maybe uh, a few weeks later, I was in the studio with Bob James recording. So that's <laughs> pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I had been in New York playing with a group called the Aboriginal Music Society at Lincoln Center. Uh, it, it had been a, a wonderful night uh, of music prior to me meeting this gentleman. And then, next thing I know, I went from playing this avant-garde jazz to playing a contemporary jazz recording session with Bob James. Um, we never put a record out together, but later on, I got my recording career with, uh, I mean, started with RCA Records, and Bob and I laughed about that every time I see each other, about, you know, how I had been playing avant-garde. Next thing I know, I'm meeting Jay Chataway. Jay Chataway is actually wife is writing a book about him and that that's one of the one of the little excerpts from the book is him meeting me that way in Memphis. <laughs> oh I love that would you know the name of the book I don't know yet she called me and interviewed me about it and uh, but I have to get the name of it I don't even know when they're gonna publish it well we'll be looking for that you had such a storied career and played with just about everybody I know that we just can't wait for you to come here to Carolina and play Cocoa Booth I had a chance to talk to Alex a few days ago, and he said that he just is so excited that this was a long time coming, this tour between you two. And what I thought was funny, he said, you know, that you just clicked. And he said, this, this was a long time coming. We, we cover a lot of, lot of genres and influences on these gigs. Marion and I had talked about putting going on tour together for many years because every time we found each other on stage together really something clicked because we have the same we we like the same music we hate the same music (laughs) 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 i thought that was so funny i didn't ask him till later what that music was but how how has it been for you playing with alex Oh, I just the same. I'm, I'm just. I, it, it really is a long time coming, and I don't know what, why we waited so long to do a tour together. But you know, you just never know. And and uh, we've known each other for, for so many years. We were label mates on RCA Records back in the '90s, and uh, and we've done lots of shows together. But he with his band and me with my band, and uh, although we have jammed together, this is our first tour. It's just Absolutely fantastic. We've got Poochie Bell on the drums, famous drummer. You know Poochie Bell. Oh, yeah, and Will Gaines, right? Yeah, and young bass player Will Gaines is with us from my band, and it's, it's spectacular. It's, it's just really, um, the combination of our music is really gelling, and the audience is, is receiving it really well. They really are. They're having a ball. Yeah, and I think you're going to surprise a lot of people. There's been this box called Smooth Jazz, but what you all do, there's a lot of improv, and you just break it up and mix it up, and there are so many genres, and it's so eclectic, your performances. Yeah, I know. I know I'm not a big fan of the title of the Smooth Jazz. I mean, we get that, and, and then you have so many different players who, you know, I wouldn't describe them as being smooth, but I understand the monitor. However, I kind of grew up with all these 
just kind of like my art, I, I grew up really eclectic music-wise and listened to a lot of, um, you know, artists that a lot of you have never even heard of, Rock and Montcourt, and, and uh, I mean, just a, a lot of different avocations, Eric Dolphy, Sonny Chris, and those people influenced me, Sonny Fortune, they used to play with McCoy Tyner, and so those people influenced me along with Grover Washington, who saw me when I was at college in Berkeley and told me that he thought I had an interesting sound already as a young player. And, um, you know, growing up with very, very extreme jazz and, and then kind of funk jazz and stuff, you know, we were kind of like guys like myself and Najee and, and uh, you know, Everett Harp and Bonnie James and guys like that. We were all going to end up playing some form of contemporary something. Uh, but in my case, I kind of really don't care. I just play with the heck I want to play. Yeah, well, it's nice that you can do that, and obviously you can. Do you remember, Marion, the first record you bought? If you would say jazz record that I bought was Stanley Turnstein. When he was on the CTI label? When he was on CTI, and then after that, I, I, my dad had other jazz records already, so he already had Coleman Hawkins, older guys, Cindy Bichet, um... Ben Webster, Lester, Lester Young, Dexter Gordon. He had all those kinds of records. Duke Ellington, Count Basie. So, um, so then after that, I found artists like, you know, of course, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Cannonball Adley, um, Sonny Stitt, you know, and Gene Ammons. You know, those kind of guys all came and, you know, fell into place because then I started buying a lot of the Blue Note stuff. And, that would, and then there would be a lot of some avant-garde artists like Don Cherry and Ornette Coleman and Rosson Roland Kirk. So I, <laughs> I had an extensive record collection, um, and, you know, going forward that was uh, just full of all, all kinds of artists, Jackie McLean and and then, of course, all outside of saxophone players or all the trumpet players I ended up buying, you know. And, and, and you know, at that time, then you're realizing, man, I want to play like that. Or, or you're hoping, you know, what, what's, the, what's the path to be able to play like that? And as a young musician, I, I was experiencing that through the training and the fundamentals and to, you know, get to know your instrument. But if there was no shortcut to that, I mean, some kids are prodigies, but that's, that's few and far between. Most of us have to work. We might have a God-given talent for an instrument, but to become a master of an instrument, it, it's a lifelong work and effort. And that's what I always tell young people. Uh, there's no computer program to be able to play, you know, a saxophone or, or you know, piano and stuff. You got to learn it. <laughs> right, exactly. And what were you nine when you started, like actually playing? What was it, the clarinet? Yeah, as as like eight or nine in third grade, I went down to uh, the band teacher after my, you know, teacher had handed out the flutophone. And she she's like, how, how do you know how to play that thing? You know, <laughs> and I was shooting on it and kind of getting it, getting a little sound. And she sent me to the band director, and that that was the beginning of my music career. I wanted to play the saxophone. He said all he had was clarinet, and I said, oh no, no, I can't play clarinet. <laughs> yeah, and that's a little different from what you intended. You actually wanted to study animal science, right? I did. Because all the, all my years in school, that's what I read. I played music, but I wasn't. I didn't play music to be a musician. I played it as a hobby, and I really wanted to be uh, into animals. I really wanted to be like in zoology, and and I was studying in high school 
all of those things that would have prepared me to get a uh, to get into veterinary school. So I was studying the chemistry, the biology, all that stuff. Um, it was just my late late in my senior year that I was smitten with the idea of uh, being a musician, and I uh, asked my parents if I could switch and go to music school, and it wasn't easy. My, when I first asked, I was on the phone. I was I was overseas with my high school band as a summer <laughs> on a summer gig, <laughs> and uh, and that was the catalyst for me wanting to be. I was like, oh, this is really cool. And they wrote an article about me in the Italian newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Kid, and I called my mom. And said, Mom, maybe I'll maybe I'll go to music school. She hung up on me. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, oh no, we don't want to hear that. You know, he was like doing good. You know, just you know, with the science. Now he wants to be a musician. <laughs> they, they, they saw it coming. You ended up at Berkeley. I guess you, you must have had a conversation at some point where she didn't hang up on you. <laughs> yeah, and they did, and she said I couldn't drop out of school and join a band. I had to finish school, so. <laughs> They dropped me off. You know, that's it. You can't be dropping out joining a band. But I was up in Boston. So I lived in Connecticut. So some weekends, we, I would sneak back to, down to Connecticut and play with my band. I even kidnapped my dog one night. Because, you know, people used to let their dogs out in the yard back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> so I told my buddy, go by my house. And my dog was in the yard. We kidnapped him in the van and took him away for the weekend. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. Yeah, my mother, I was talking to my mom's husband, and they go, I think he's got some pet dog missing all week. We don't know where he went. I go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we dropped him off on Sunday night. That's hilarious. <laughs> so what's next on your eclectic agenda, Marion? I am not recording yet, but I am working on, with a friend of mine, Dr. Butch Brosser, and I are working on a documentary uh, it's called Medicine in Music, and it's about the healing powers of music. But uh, with, we're actually starting this, this documentary with a clinical study about healing in music, and not just the megahertz, actually acute healing. So this is going to be a, uh, eventually maybe a series called The Healing Horn, which will travel around the world and talk about all the benefits that music has been having on the human race. Uh, for, forever and ever, starting with Egypt 4,000 years ago, they used to use healing chambers that were music healing tone chambers. And I think uh, the mainstream doesn't really know, except that the good feeling part of music, and maybe it affects people mentally and perhaps people with Alzheimer's and PTSD and those sorts of things. But we're, we're going to go much deeper than that and bring the conversation and kind of like travel, kind of like a Stanley Tucci kind of thing. We'll travel around the world. Uh, we'll speak to name, very, you know, big name artists, uh, their fans. We'll talk to people in, in healing spaces and in, 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 in sound and healing, and just try to bring the awareness to how important music, you know, really is to the mainstream. I think people are not really understanding it, especially here in America. If they had propped up uh, art and music, the things that we created, and all the good things that have been benefits, not only benefits to us, but changed the entire world, I don't think we'd be in as much trouble trying to find an identity for what the United States is anymore. You know, all of the greed and the hate, and the, it, it just manifested into this thing that we can't quagmire, that we can't get out of, except for the music. The music always straightens it out. But at concerts and music, People kind of let all that go, and they give up themselves to the art and the and the sounds and the vibrations, and 
that's something I think people really need to understand going forward because maybe maybe it's going to be one of the things that if we can get uh, you know uh, people in power to understand that music is much more important than us just being the court jesters. This is something that's saving the human race at a very critical time when we we got a lot of problems going on. So I'm proud to say that we musicians carry the torch proudly. We need to let people know how much that means to, you know, all of us musicians have testimonials of someone who came up to and say, you know, you saved my life, blah, 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 you did this, you know, my, whatever it is. There's, there's lots of stories that have nothing to do with the fact that I, I was grooving to your music. It's how important your music was to me, and I think those stories need to be told, you know. That sounds absolutely brilliant, Marion, as everything you do is. I mean, saying you're multi-talented is just, I mean, it sounds silly because you do so much, and I'm very surprised and honored that you shared so much of it with us. I'm so looking forward to seeing the tour with you and Alex and following your path wherever it leads us. We'll be better people for it. Thank you so much, Marion. And I'm sure our listeners will want to continue to follow your journey as well on social and at MarianMeadows.com. I can't wait to meet you and hang out. So we'll look forward to seeing you again. Okay. You got it. Thanks again, Marion.